0: There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsucom listens to get your first class free. thats injits Richard listens i n j i t s u.com/richardlessons. I'll see you there. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Hey everybody. <laughs> Dr. Richard Olberger here and thank you for joining me for a special edition of the Richard Listens podcast. As always, Dr. Richard Olberger, your consummate host here to keep you going through the quarantine and beyond into the world of high performance, high performers, and people who have transitioned from all walks of life to share their secrets with us about how they've overcome how they stay resilient, and how you too can channel your own inner hero into whatever venture you're working on. Today, my guest is Chioki Akajobi, and he is a former Division I soccer player for Gardner Webb University and is currently uh, working on productions, commercials, films here in the Los Angeles area and bringing his talents and continuing his athletic pursuits into adulthood and beyond. And we'll talk about playing at the highest levels and competing on the national level and competing with the best of the best on the soccer pitch and what it's It's like to rub elbows with some of the best of the best. Without further ado, we thank you all for joining us. I thank all of you for bringing your stories to me, for trusting me in the work you do, and for letting me tell your stories. All right. Without further ado, everyone, as promised, we have Chioke. I could joby, I got it right. You got it. Did got I get it? You yes. It. <laughs> you got it. How many times in your life, okay did you have to correct people along the way or coaches?
1: You know, what's funny. I never had to like go correct people. I already assumed they didn't know, so I would like, you know, before they were, they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even say a word. They'd look at like a piece of paper and they'd be like, like I just raised my hand, like. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I just raised my hand like hey this is is me like because I knew my name was like the hardest to pronounce and like it was just like they wouldn't even have to say anything they just look at a sheet of paper and be like "Uh, right (laughs) and I actually
0: saw at well we had the COVID friendly Emmys right that just passed the Emmy Awards so I I didn't really watch it but I saw a little few clips of it and And some of the some of the I forget for which category one of the award winners has like a Hyphenated last name that's multicultural, and he was like, he spoke to it. He was like, "This is for every kid out there whose name has is difficult to pronounce," you know. <laughs> and I was like, "Right on," you know.
1: Like, you know, they
0: <laughs> yeah. rep- represent, right? Like, you know, people should feel included and and understood. That that's different when when your name, you know, clearly has has some roots and history to it. Now, for you, you grew up in D.C., but your parents, did they emigrate over
1: from Nigeria? Yeah, so my parents are Nigerian. You know, they moved here 30 years ago, 40 years ago. They moved here, and I was born in D.C. I grew up in Houston, but I lived in, I was born in D.C., I moved to Virginia, Maryland. You know, we lived on those that side of the country for a little while. Uh, I think my parents moved to, like, Louisiana for a little bit, I lived in Austin before I I moved to Houston and then I lived in Washington State home in Washington before I even moved to Texas like since we never left Texas so moved to Houston after I lived in Washington State for a little bit so it was like a whole like you know we moved left and right and like we went everywhere until like you know this is like all before second grade so like I moved like 30 times before I even you know second grade hit so I had already been so many different places before you know thirty I even, times. I mean we probably moved 30 or four houses in each place like you know we weren't it's not like oh I just moved the city to city nah it was like we lived there for a few years and then we moved like three houses and then we moved to this city for three years and then we moved three houses and you know, I, mean, I just remember going from house to house to house in the same place for a little bit and then moving the whole to a whole other side of the country or in another state and then three different houses it was like you know you're young you don't care you're like oh new place like you know so early on it was exciting yeah I mean it was exciting but also like I remember that feeling of like when you move to somewhere that you enjoy and like you're like oh I'm gonna be here forever you know I'm gonna stay here forever we're never gonna move parents come and say hey we're moving uh oh, like cr- when we lived in Pullman I loved it like I loved Pullman Washington for me it was like Candyland you know what I'm saying like it was it was just like a real fun place to live and everybody it was cool and I was like man we're gonna live here forever then my parents came and say hey we're moving to Texas oh man we were crying. I was crying I was like "Oh, I don't want to move to Texas like What's that And like I like it here We made friends That feeling of like And then I think as When I was young like that It was that feeling Of like You know Making friends And like You were really cool to me Like oh These are going to be My friends forever And then Knowing you have to leave them And then going to the next place It's really As a young kid That's really A big thing Because I didn't notice Until I started getting older How how normal it was For me to go Somewhere else and make new friends it got easier and easier as I kept doing it as a kid you know that's what a lot of athletes have to do and
0: what a lot of people in the military have to do families and it's a wonderful skill it's an adaptive skill that you create friendliness warmth the ability to relate but it's kind of the opposite of what we're needing as a kid right we're wanting to get attached or put down roots or feel included
1: was it was it because your dad was in academia my dad was a professor and he was in the teaching system so i think it's just because he was like, you know, he was all about finding the best place to be. He didn't really care about like, you know, oh, well, we got friends here. You know, he just moved, come from another country. He just found, trying to find the best place for your family. And I think he found Houston to be like the most, you know, reasonable financially. And it just, it was a good fit for him. And, you know, me, I, I didn't care. We just went wherever our parents went. You know, I didn't really think about it too much. So, but it was good for young black males who weren't raised American but weren't we weren't raised by anything in America like our parents were Nigerian as it could be so we were like not exactly like them but we had like a lot of those values and like the things that they did so we didn't we didn't even like we didn't care what anybody else was doing we had our own thing going on in our own house but it was good because our parents threw us in so many different people's houses we sl- we stayed with people and like they took care of us sometimes my parents would go away and they were white Indian black like it was all different type of people so that that recurring faces come up in your head and they, it starts to block out you believe in anybody's anything but what they are you know like, oh this is my friend I don't know where he's from where's he from right. I don't know you know you just early experience you grow up with that cycle mentality that everybody's the same in a way like you know so they did a great job my parents did a great job with that you know that's the one thing I can say hey my parents like they were cool like they they made sure that their kids were very aware that you know we're all you know we're all people and stuff like that and that you know no matter if you come from a different country or not you can still get along with everybody else so that was like the luckiest thing like me and my brother are so against like you know any of that we're with the whole everybody trying to be together thing and it's tough you know it's not an
0: easy thing yeah so so when you see what's going on and we'll get into it later but you know the, the protests and the conflict—it it, it, it triggers those early belief systems, right? Like, it yeah. hurts that so you are wanting to see unity and togetherness, and that's not what's happening.
1: Yeah, it's just all about understanding, man. It's like the understanding part. People just have to try to understand each other a little bit. And when you when you, you now, I, I wrote it on Facebook the other day, just like you know, because you now I'm a I'm a big proponent of like Hispanics. Like I've been just like I played soccer. I grew up. My my coach, as a kid growing up was a Hispanic man. So like I was in their house, I was eating their food and I was like, you know, they take me to practice and I'd go home. So you spend time with the culture long enough. When you spend time with a certain group of people, you start to understand the value of that culture. And like, when you don't spend time with them at all, you're just going to make assumptions. So you're going to make assumptions for what you see at school or at practice or you don't know unless you're living in the, going to those people's homes and like, you know, experiencing that with them. And I think that's where a lot of people lack. They lack that experience in the home. They never go to these people's houses. They never go to the the quinceaneras and like, you know, the parties. and They don't do those things. So how are you expecting to really understand? You know, you're only seeing the worst of them. You're not really seeing the best of them. You know, like when you see the best of a culture, the worst kind of, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hit as hard. You know, it's not like, oh my God, I hate these people so much when they do something bad because you know obviously every culture has its thing where you probably don't like it. But I've had issues with every culture on this planet, but I've had so many good things happen with all these cultures that those little issues don't trump the way I see everything. You know what I'm saying? So I've been lucky man. I've been I've been I've been really lucky and you know my parents did a good job of like, you know, keeping that Yeah and
0: that's that's the work they've been doing even in the Middle East groups uh groups that have been having like Arab and, and Jewish kids raised together taking certain spiritual curriculum together. When you get that early life upbringing of being exposed then you, you know you find commonality, you find that kind of experience because a lot of the negativity, the hatred the projecting stereotypes comes from like lack of understanding or obviously in our current circumstance when we start to feel well, when people are suffering or in pain they're looking for who's causing that pain as well so right we're looking for those that have that have maybe are not treating us in the way that we feel so when it comes to you know sy- systemic oppression clearly in our country there's been a history of feeling like well hold on a minute right if I can not ever get seen or I can't ever get valued in the same way or if I'm seen only as a function of when it comes to sports, right, my athleticism, right, at some level or if I'm not given the same opportunity. So it's good that it's raising this question, right, are we truly seeing one another? Are we truly looking for this shared value of individuality? Are we trying to create kind of a case system of value? system where, you know, only certain, where privilege is maintained above all else and I think I'm glad that's being you know, kind of unveiled and, and looked upon. Okay. Yeah, and I know you've you've shared and I'm, I'm, I'm proud and, and uh, you've been sharing your experiences because it's different, right? Coming in as a you know, Nigerian, American coming in to the sporting environment, right? On some level you're getting the same, this on the other hand, you have this upbringing that's exposing
1: you to the world. That must have been unique for you. I was raised to think like Nigerians were like the number one species on the planet. Like, I was raised to think like they were perfect. And there's nothing wrong with those people believing that they are perfect and that they are like the, the number one or whatever they feel like because that's the confidence you have to have as, your, as, the, as a culture. And I, I feel like that as an individual. Like, I never felt like I was less of a person than anybody from the you know and you might not hear that from a lot of young black guys you know they feel like oh well people you know they don't have that if you have that theme value about yourself it's really hard for people to take that away from you you know it's really really hard because but if you don't have it anything that they say can trigger you to make you feel like you're not you know as valued as you you know as you should be I've never felt like that I've never I mean of course there's times where people you know you have moments where people say things or do things and you know, you're young or whatever, but as far as the overall and like how I feel now, I've never really felt like, I never really felt like I was like less. I've been always taught to be like a King to a certain extent. Well, that belief system is key, right? Even though we could say like, man, walking around
0: saying you're the best. Well, that means somebody else isn't the best, but internally it gives you a lot of confidence and pride. If that's what's being taught, you know,
1: it does it does if you use it right and you know you you uh you you don't use it to boost yourself I always say when once you start thinking you're cool you're not cool you know like you know I never thought I was cool I never saw myself as like the cool guy but people be like oh you're cool I'm like I don't know what that is because I don't believe in being cool I just say man treat people the right way you know don't boost yourself too much you know don't like, you can talk well about yourself but you know always have that inner confidence I always say when you have outward Confidence. It can sometimes come off as cocky, but when you have that inward confidence, and then are you boosting the people around you? Do people feel like when they're with you that they're going to win? You know, like that's like the biggest thing is like when you, like, you know, I always felt like when I was on the team, like, even if I had good players around me or not good players around me, we can win because I'm here, you know? Like, that's how I felt. Like, I always felt like that. Like, as long as you have me here, you got a chance. And like, you got to give that's that's who you want on your team right there. Yeah, you got to give people that. You got to give people that whole, you got to give people that same, you know, that same energy that they feel like, hey, I'm here. Like, I can help us win too. It's not just, oh, Chogi's here. He's going to help us win. Like, nah, well, I'm here too. I can help us win. You know, you always want to feel like, you always want to be the person who's holding everybody, you know, holding the weight on their shoulders. And if some if somebody has too much weight on their shoulders, take some of it off and put it on yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what, that's what this whole thing things about, but I think sometimes people, when they feel like they're doing everything and they feel like they're the one, they get a little cocky, they get a little bit above themselves and they just kind of start, you know, saying all this stuff good about themselves. But the most confidence you can have about yourself is giving other people confidence. So I, think, I think everything on the inside is just after you You have enough, it starts to just become about like ego and you being cocky. You got to give some of it away and that's the best way to do it. Yeah,
0: well, you're touching on a lot of different aspects there. essence of leadership, you know, believing that you can be a leader, not just the best player, and responsibility. Like, sometimes players get this feeling, I have to do it myself. I have to take... And some of that comes from, right, trust. Both trust in, can I build this other player up? Can I make them better? Can I encourage other people to believe in themselves, right? You know, a lot of uh, we saw everybody at the beginning of the quarantine started watching the last dance and see how, yeah. you know, Michael Jordan, you know, he he, kind of, he had a let Steve Kerr know you're, you're going to be needed, right? John Paxson, right? They're going to be needed and they're going to be or even Dennis Rodman, right? To let, let players on your team be who they are, but let them know they're also really really important to what the team needs to do to win. Yeah, so getting back to you as a, as a soccer player, so you're moving all around, how did when did you discover soccer and how did that you know
1: travel with you from a young age starting in DC? First time I can remember ever playing, <laughs> it's actually a funny story. <laughs> my brother actually played soccer, my brother ended up being a football player, but I stayed in soccer. But I remember we lived in Washington, we lived in Pullman, it's always cold out there, you know, it was like pretty cold, pretty cold like town or whatever, small town. I just remember, you know, if you don't know much about like Nigeria culture, this is like a little like a little bit of it. I don't know if they still do these kind of things because it's like a new time and day. Yeah, if you don't know much about Nigerian cultures, I didn't really know about it too, so I started getting older. When I was a kid, I always found out that I got less than my brother did. My brother's older, same birthday, two years older. I got less than he did all the time, and I never understood why, but in the culture, it's like the oldest gets everything, and then the youngest gets nothing. Usually, if you you're in a family, you know. If you have a kid early on and then you have another kid, the baby's like the most responsive, you know. He's like, Oh, we got to take care of the little one, you know, because it's like reverse. But the youngest one's really like not valued as highly as the older one because the older one's like seen as like the king of the house because he's like, <laughs> He's oldest, he's gonna be like the strongest. And the, and the little one's like, Oh, he's just a baby, like we don't, we don't, we're not worried about him, like he's not, he might not be whatever you want you know, whatever, push them to the side. So when I was younger, you know, we would be in a car and the car wouldn't be big enough. You know, my parents weren't always, didn't always have money. You know, they ended up obviously doing better as I, you know, once I got into like, we moved to Houston, my dad, he does well and everything like that. But as a young kid, we didn't have a lot, you know, so I remember my mom used to work at Wendy's back in the day, like back in like the 90s, early 90s. I just remember like we had a stuffed car, Pathfinder, Gold Pathfinder, Nissan Pathfinder. We used To stuff the car with all our stuff. I don't know why our stuff was always like packed in the car. There was no room for me to sit in the back seat with my brother. So my parents would sit in the front. They'd throw me in the trunk. Like it was an open trunk, but it was like the trunk, you know? And like, hey, they, hey, you have to sit back here. I, in my head, I was like, okay, whatever they do. So I was just got so used to being like last, like last to have things, you know? Like family's culture, we go to parties and stuff. They give the kids money. They gave my brother a they'd give me 50 if my brother got 40 I'd get 20 so I was just so used to always having less you know always having less it was just natural for me to believe that I wasn't going to get the most which was cool because I was always humbled by it I never felt like oh I deserved more I was just like oh this is how things are you know what I mean and so when I got into we moved to Washington my parents I guess they forgot because my brother always came first my brother always came first he was first one He's the first one to get everything. They signed him up for soccer that year. So, you know, it's soccer season and, you know, me, I'm like, okay, they signed me up. I'm just waiting to find out what team I'm on. I'm not in control of anything, you know, and I go go to this field one day and my parents are like, oh my God, we forgot to sign you up for soccer. I start crying. Like, I used to be the biggest crybaby. I used to cry all the time. As I got older, I just literally stopped crying, I guess, it's because I cried so much as a kid. But, like, he literally, they forgot to sign me up for soccer and I was like, I started crying like, oh my god, you guys didn't go sign me up for soccer and my parents were like, dang it, like, you know, they didn't really care but they were like, alright, it's not fair we didn't sign him up, he should be playing too so I'll never forget they went up to my brother's coach my brother's two years older than me, he's two years older, they went up to my brother's coach and said, hey coach, you know, we made a mistake we didn't sign up for soccer, it's too late to get him registered, so any way we can get him to play with his brother since he's already on the team, we can just get him on the team with you and they are like he's so small you know I was like 30 pounds you know when I was 11 40 pounds you know I got I went into high school at one hundred and like fifteen. Like, I was very small very skinny they're like hey he's small and stuff we don't know if like he should like you know be playing with the bigger guys and my parents like no 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 he'll be fine he'll be fine just throw him out there he can run I just remember that my jersey was so big because they didn't have like a regular size jersey and my brother was on the field and like I was like like, all right, cool, like, I'm going to just jump on here. And I just went on there and, like, did my best. Like, I just went on there. I was, I was scared, like, super, super. I just remember being really, really scared because everybody was older than me. But I wasn't, I wasn't scared to go out there. I was nervous, like, oh, my God, like, these guys are bigger and they're faster. But, but i was wanted to play. I wanted great. to play, so I, I didn't care. <laughs> I just jumped on there. And I don't remember if I did well or anything, but I stayed on the team for the whole season. I think that helped me a lot as a kid. Because that my fear of like, you know, maybe I was gonna get hurt or something, that was out of the window now. So everything else. And when I started playing with people my age, I was like, oh, this is cake, like, you know, like, this is nothing. <laughs> I think I think when when you experience that, and you have an older brother who's a lot bigger. My brother was a football, you know, his size, he was big, he was fast, he was strong. Like, I was like, dang, I'm never gonna be able to beat this guy at anything. I'm never ever gonna be able to compete with them because he's just bigger, he's faster, he's stronger. Like, and he was like the supreme athlete even in high school he was just the best athlete i just was always trying to like reach me taught me how to play basketball like he I, like i was always trying to reach his level of ability because i had it but i didn't have it i didn't care to have it i didn't really want to be i didn't really care i just was good at it i was good at my sport and i didn't care uh, but once you start caring you start seeing the difference between like an average athlete to so like the one of the best you know what i mean so that was where my mindset was it was just Just a regular, casual, you know, good athletic soccer guy. So once I moved from Washington, we moved to Houston. My dad was like, "Okay, I'm going to get you into soccer." Now, my dad was like with me all the time. You know, he was like my guy. You know, it was me and him all the time, like going to soccer games, practice, everything. So he, my coach, was from Mexico. So he got me involved with my coach named Sam Pena. Still to this day, never taken a penny to coach soccer because he told me that like the one of the best things he told me this like a few years ago, and some, I still talk to him every once in a while. He said, you know, it's Jokey, if I take money to coach soccer, I know I'll stop loving it. And he said, that's why I don't take money from you. I never took money from you guys. Like, the only thing y'all paid for was, like, you know, ref fees or something like that, but I never took money from you guys because I knew I wasn't going to enjoy it. And his son was on the team with us. It was just a good, like, I was coached by a real man that actually had some value about him and cared about the players and just wanted us to win because he want us to grow and you know he's a Hispanic man like a Mexican so I grew up with a lot of those qualities because they're all humble people because they don't have not everybody that's Mexican has a lot you know they come from another country they're grinding just like my parents were you know so I was just so used to going to fields like my dad this guy's a full PhD professor who makes decent money I'm going to the fields to pick up trash because not everybody on our team can afford to like play in these tournaments because it costs money you know what I mean? So, I would go still I would go, and like, because I have no money, I didn't have it, you know? my dad had the money, but like, I'd go like, oh, I don't need to go there because I have the money, I was like, oh, okay, this is gonna go we'll do it together, you know, they were like my family, so, when you grow up with a guy like that, and the way he he really, and, uh, you know he took a caring for me because I came like his son, you know, like he took care of me, you know, I was the only black player on the team too, so like, you know, I was the only one he saw that you know, there, we had one white kid. Everybody else was Hispanic and I was the only black kid. But I was the fastest player. I was like the most talented. I remember he was like, I used to have a lot of 1v1s with the goalkeeper. And my biggest fear was like the kid behind me that was chasing me was going to hit me. Like as a kid, you know, I'm a 10, 8, 9, 10 years old. I always had this fear like, oh, he's going to catch me. He's going to catch me. So I'd always miss my one-on-ones with the goalkeeper. My coach started getting on me like, hey need to start making up. Instead of benching me or not playing me, he actually saw that I was like I had some talent. He would let the team practice on their own. Like the team would practice with our other coach. You know it was like one of the kids' parents. They would practice and then he would pull me aside and he'd pull another player aside and the goalkeeper and he'd have me like 50 yards away from the goal and he'd just have me sprint with a soccer ball and he'd have a kid chase me. And he was like you're gonna get over your fear of like you know somebody catching you and you're going to score. Just finish the ball. Put the ball in the back of the net every time. Somebody's going to chase you. And I did that for practice for like two or three weeks for, I mean, maybe a month, a month and a half. And once I stopped, I started doing that. I started forgetting about my fear of, of that player catching me or hitting me or something like that. And I just changed the way I thought about scoring goals. I was just scoring. I think one season I scored like 40 goals, like 50 goals. I was just, I was on another level just because a guy pulled me aside and said hey look like I think you can be something beautiful on
0: so many levels right I mean on the one hand you're starting out talking about birth order and your family and how like on the one hand like the athlete the older one is expected to do well like like there's pressure there there's sure. pressure but you get, you get the privilege of you're in you get whatever you need to do well on the other hand is the younger one you're like have to fight for your spot before you even like before you're even given a chance. And but yet the opportunity is that you're always overcoming your fear. You're always having to like belong here, am I okay? So and then to find a coach who embraced you and gave you that aspect of team and safety, right? You're a part of something. You're a part of this. You don't have to do anything or be anything other than show up and, and contribute and bring your humility. He modeled that. And then to give you the chance to perform like that kind of performance scenario, practicing under pressure. It's beautiful, man. Right. Because you're seeing how you're tensing up or you're seeing how you're anxious before that point of execution. And it sounds like once, once that
1: was overcome, you were free to excel. And it was weird because I was so young, but I used to, I was so emotional. When it came to people, like I really like my mom used to always say, "We oh, you never liked people," but I just never smiled as a kid that much. I was always like, like you know, just frown faces. But I really liked <laughs> people a lot. I, I really, I, I still have really, a little bit of that. So you, know, you can have it. Your facial expression can be whatever, but it's really how you feel about people. And I really liked people. I just never really like you know. I really, never really showed it. And you know, my coach, my coach was like one of the, like the one people who like came and grabbed me and was like hey look so in return I always felt like I had to perform for him not necessarily because he because he didn't give me that vibe of like oh you have to play well because I coached you to be better it was like this is a guy who actually gives a damn about me you knowing I have to go out here and and help the team it became more of, more than just playing it was like a family thing letting down your family letting down everybody around you like the games Something Like they meant something because somebody actually cared when somebody cares about you, you have to go hard for them. Like it's a 100% like what you have to do. And I think sometimes in today's game and I watch sports now, I don't think there's much of that. I think everybody just wants to, you know, be successful, but you have to care about what you're doing. It has to be more than just the the ball going in the hoop or the ball going in the goal or you hitting the home run. It has to be deeper than that because it's going to mean something every time. Time you step up to anything you do, any level, like any place you go, like that pressure is going to be there because you have the responsibility of the people that, you know, that helped you get to where you were. And I think sometimes people lose that sight. And you always feel like that responsibility is there. Mm-hmm. You have to work harder. You have to you have to train. You have to not worry about going out and partying every single day. And don't get it wrong. Like I went out, but I never let going out replace the number one thing that mattered and it was me being the best I could be at what I do and like what I did, you know, like I played my game and when I got to a point where I recognized that I could do go further, I didn't take any risks I, I didn't, you know, and it made me a better man, like overall it made me a better person, it made me less susceptible to BS, it made me less susceptible to caring about, you know bad opinions because sometimes people might have an opinion that I need to listen to, like I'm not perfect, you know what I mean like it's good to listen to other people and get that, and it's so hard because it's like taking like it's like taking medicine you don't like. You know what I mean? Like when somebody says something about you that you know they might be right. You have to take that medicine. You really do have to change a little bit. You have to change a little bit of who you are because they're right that you need to be better in a certain extent. I remember we played. You know, this is a coach that never yelled at me, never screamed at me because I was performing. You know, like once he had me and he trained me that that little, you know, month and a half or whatever and that little one-on-one stuff. I, after that, I skyrocketed. it you and know, I was doing really well at a low level. We were playing Division Two. It wasn't the highest level of soccer, but it was still, I was killing everybody. I was getting recruited by other teams, getting recruited to go to Mexico. Uh, I was supposed to go to Mexico as a kid and my dad was like, no way, because, you know, he was so scared of, like, cartels and, you know, just things in general. You know, Mexico didn't really have a good name back then, you know. More now, I, I could go to Mexico tomorrow. and in the unknown um, no, maybe, yeah. Fear, fear the unknown and me being away, my dad didn't want his son going away and like you know he didn't want that but you know I remember a game not too long after that and it was like right before I left him because he, he sent us to another coach that was like his like kind of his close friend and we had played with them before. He We played a game against an older team like they were an older team and he had this really good Hispanic player. He was older than us like two years older than us you know. I was younger but I was advanced. I was a a little more advanced than my teammates. Like, you know, I, you could tell I was a little little bit further ahead, a little bit faster, a little bit quicker, a little bit, I wouldn't even say smarter, but I just knew what I was doing because just from that little that little time, and I just remember we played this kid and he was like really good. And they were like, yo, uh, Choke, he's really good. Like, you need to guard him. Like, um, I'm going to have put you on the whole game. And my mind wasn't ready to guard this kid the whole game because I'm like, look, I'm scoring the Goals here, like I'm the guy who scores. That's what I do, and I'm so used to it in my head because that's my job. I'm not a midfielder yet. I was, I hadn't turned, turned into a midfielder yet. I was a striker only. Like I only scored goals, kicked the ball, run, beat everybody up to dribble and score. That was like my thing. And the coach was like, "Hey, you're gonna guard this guy because you're the fastest player on the team. So you need to make sure he doesn't score." The, you know, majority of the game, I'm going around, and the kids not really doing too much crazy stuff. I'm guarding him a little bit, but for like one second I like tried to go and score a goal, you know? I tried to go score and I didn't score. And the kid took the ball, drilled like five of our players and just crushed one like in the corner or something like that. And my coach went like he this guy never yells. It's like yelling and screaming and I'm in my and this is the first time I've ever had him yell at me. I'm like, whoa, like I felt I was down. I was like dang, like he actually yelled like he never gets mad. He never yells or anything and I was like what's wrong with him like he's really tripping and in the second half he's like you have to guard this kid or he's going to kill us when he yelled at me which went off in my head I was like oh okay cool that kid didn't touch the ball the second half I actually ended up scoring a goal I think we won like 3-1 or something this was a long time ago this was like I was like 10 or 11, 12 I remember it vividly because I just remember him yelling at me and we, we won the game I scored the kid never touched the ball again because my coach yelled at me and he never yelled so I knew it meant something to him, and then he grabs me, pulls me aside. When the you know after the game's over, he's like, "Hey guys, good job." And then he's like, "Show, sure, let me talk to you. He can talk to me." This is me at 11 years old, 11, 12, and he's like, "Hey, listen." He was like, "The reason why I yelled at you and stuff like that is because you know you have a responsibility." Uh, I didn't know what he's talking about. A responsibility about what? You know, I'm 11 years old. <laughs> you have a responsibility. He's like, "You're the best player on the team. You're the fastest player on the team. You have a responsibility to always." you know, to do more to do better and to be the best like to be the best you can be he, he wanted, he said, you have the potential to do more than anybody on this team and to go further you know, and I don't want you to like, you know to mess that up because you're not you know, you're not you're not focused, you're not doing things right, he's like, you can do more, you can do better than a lot of other players, you have the speed, he's like I've never seen a player blessed with the kind of speed that you have ever in my life he was like, you have to make sure you use it the right way and you make sure you do something with it and you know that kind of like triggered my own like 11 but i'm hearing these things as a kid and i'm like damn like i'm i mean something you know my whole life people tell me i'm nothing you know it seems like
0: everyone these days is trying new workout systems some people go to the gym others may run but i've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing I'm taking jitsu classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to Injitsu.com slash listens to get your first class for free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U com Richard Listens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why impact dental designs has put so much thought into their state of the art mouth guards, protecting athletes in youth sports all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouth guard. So head over to impact dental slash Richard Listens, And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. Right, and it's it's like important as a young man because obviously a lot of players are playing for coaches and they don't want to see them upset. And that motivation works, but but having the positive vision type conversation about who you are and your talents and how you support the team and all the ways that, that you can be great, that builds somebody up. So some of the coaches just, they result only to the screen screaming when you make the mistake and that can get confusing right players can shut down because they don't know what that means if that's all they get but it sounds like he did a really great job of building up the trust and the safety in the relationship where you were like okay this is out of
1: character when he gets upset we were so close and so it was like he's a grown man with two kids a wife like i'm the young guy i'm a young black man like you know you know he's probably never had a black person in his life but you know he's such a good person he's so understanding about stuff and it was so good to have somebody like that at that age because I felt like he loved me I felt like he cared about me he wanted me to be something he didn't just want me to just come here play he like wanted me to do more and to have that comfort (laughs) is really 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 good now he comes and you know he coaches me for like three years four years or something like that and then so we used to have guest players come and play on our team. And it really helped our team a lot because we we had a lot of, you know, you know when you play your age, you know, you're going to run into some competition. But when you play above your age, it's hard to beat you. And we had a couple, three guest players who were like, you know, friends of mine that I kn- I didn't know, but he knew. And they would come and guest play with us, but they came from our rival team. So sometimes when we play in other tournaments, they'd come and play with us when they weren't in that tournament. And the, the head coach of the other team would take those three players and throw on our team. We were so much better. We were more dangerous. Like, we had just a really good team. It felt good. It felt right. And so those three players, they had their team. So our coach used to coach uh, his son's team, which is a year younger than mine. And then my team, who was, like, his oldest age kid. So he was like, hey, look, I'm going to go coach my son's team. I'm going to spend more time with them. I'm going to send you guys to this guy named Miguel. Miguel is, like, the exact opposite of Coach Sam. I had Coach Sam at, like, 9 or 8. Eight, 8 to 15, so now I have two different types of coaches. Sam's the quiet, coach. Sam is the quiet, very stoic, chill guy. Then you got Miguel, who's really Mexican. Like, he's the Mexican of Mexicans. He is, he yells, he screams, he'll get on you, he'll scream at you, and he doesn't care. Like, he wants you to work hard. If you're not working hard, you're not playing. Like, he's that guy. And, you know, when I got to the team here, I already played against them a lot. I already played against that team a lot. I scored goals on him. We had a, like a rivalry going on. So he knew who I was already. So he was like, okay, I'm getting him good. I can use him to help us win. But he didn't care that I came from another team because he knew how Coach Sam was. Coach Sam was very relaxed. He wasn't gonna be like that. And it took me some time to get used to a little bit because I was so used to like, you know, playing my game and being cool. But with Miguel it was like, hey, if you make one blast, come on man come on like what are you doing like you know like i'm a grown man but i'm still a kid but that's how he treated us and it was so good to have something like that you know that time i needed that i needed a miguel in my life you know because he put that really rock hard like no nonsense like tough guy like i needed that toughness and he gave me that he still cared but you could tell he cared but he was very tough he didn't want us he, he didn't want us the world to swallow us up he wanted us to be ready and to always be prepared. Tremendous character, strength
0: of yours, me adapting to different coaches and seeing, okay, they're each giving me something I need to be more, to be better. Right? There's different styles, but I can each, you know, they each give me something. So take us forward. I want to make sure we get time being able to play Division One, Gardner-Webb, Europe, you know, I mean, did you always know that you were going to wind up playing? I mean, Division
1: One. only a few of the few get to play at that level. I, I I actually like didn't have I really didn't know like you know my parents don't care about soccer everybody people don't know that like my parents don't give, give a rat damn about like you know any sports like they're educators they care about school so you know if you want to do something you want to do you got to you know you got to put your time in I met I met a kid in high school and his brother played pro actually I played against him in high school my freshman year freshman year in high school and we played against each other and I played okay. I used to come off the bench for my freshman year in high school on JV which is weird because I ended up being like the only kid in the history of the program to like play Division One soccer like that for a while. Like not only one in the history of the program but at that time frame people weren't going D1 and I was one of the few kids. So it was weird I came off the bench in JV you know and so I actually played okay in a JV game against him and he messaged and his parents I actually know my parents from we go to the same. Church, we lived down the street from each other. I just didn't pay attention. He didn't go to my school. I didn't really know him that well. So I just remember him messaging me on Facebook saying, "Hey man, you're pretty good. Do you want to train?" I was like, "What?" Like, and I was, I was, I was, I was on the verge, and I was really on the verge of just quitting soccer. I, I was, I wasn't motivated anymore. You know, I was playing with Miguel's team, and you know, we weren't really going anywhere. And you know, that, that I, I felt like I hit a roadblock, and I was, I was gonna go play basketball because all my friends played basketball. I was like, man, soccer's over. Like, it was time to give the game up because it was just getting boring now. And then he came, my friend Ricky. He came around around my freshman year of high school. He got me into like, hey, this is what they, where it can take you. Like, you know, his brother had the Golden Boot from club soccer. He had like national championships from soccer. Like, opened up a whole other world to me. MLS, and I knew what the MLS was, but I didn't know like like the the relationships. And I started meeting players, and there was all this whole whole world just came into my life that I never experienced before. And he really got me into training. And when I say training, I mean like really just rugged three day. Like we, I started getting that obsession side of me. And he really taught me that and really like he was a trainer. He was, he wasn't as talented as I was, but he had the mentality. I didn't have at that time, like freshman year, sophomore year of high school. I wanted it, but I didn't really, I wasn't willing to die for it. Ricky was willing to die for because his brother played. He wanted to be like his brother. You know, me, I just, was. I didn't have an example for soccer. I didn't have a brother or uncle or a cousin. I just wanted to play to be good and just have fun. But then I started being around him more and he gave me that mentality like this is do or die type. And when you have that do or die mentality, you're going to go harder for whatever you're doing. Like, you know, if you feel like everything is a responsibility now to the highest level, like every time you go play somewhere, if you're not playing 100% you can't play on this field I was playing with the best players like in the country like some of the my teammates and guys I was around I would go play pickup soccer and half to half 90% of the players were region 3 ODP or they were like in the Dynamo Academy or they were just the best in Houston so those were my pickup games not even my real practice and pickup games and how I got my confidence was I would go out there and kill these guys and I was playing barely playing JV but I would go out there and kill those guys so that gave me my own personal confidence whether my coaches at my high school didn't believe in me whether those guys didn't believe in me I had to have that confidence in myself as an individual and say hey look I can play with these guys I just need a chance you know I need somebody to believe that hey I can do it and when those chances came I knew I had to kill it I had no option but to do it so he came into my life and you know honestly I had an offer D1 it was like I have a 40% scholarship to Long Island University but I didn't want to go out to New York because I was like, man, I don't like the cold. I like the cold, but I didn't like the New York cold because I've been out there before. I was like, man, I want to go somewhere where I can and play. playing in the cold is a different different game. Hey, I mean, That's what I'm saying. Like, So I, I was really, I'm from Texas. I was like, nah, 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 I'm not trying to do that. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go out. Ricky was going to Gardner-Webb, and this is before he got, and he ended up getting injured before he had, actually went to college in like a high school playoff game. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe I should go to Gardner-Webb. Web. it was in North Carolina which is like the mecca for college soccer you know I see Chapel Hills out there NC State Duke you know all the top teams in the country are in North Carolina and it's a great environment for soccer so I was like maybe I should go there they weren't going to offer me a scholarship so late so I kind of just went like I went there and they said hey look if you can do well you get a scholarship you know they helped me out with like financial aid and stuff but you know if you come here and you do well you get a scholarship after your first year so I was like oh these guys I not going to give me a scholarship. Oh, that got me even more psychopathic. So I was like, okay, you're going know, to you give me a scholarship, so I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to, like, destroy everything. It was, like, no games from day one I got there. Like, I wasn't playing around at all. So and did you walk I, on? Was... I, I, I wouldn't say walk on. It, it was, like, more of a, hey, we'll help you out, but we're not giving you the whole thing. And it was like, okay, well, that's kind of where I wanted to be as far as, like, being a footballer like I wanted to be in that environment where there was a lot of pressure they weren't that good of a program but they thought they were which like every program thinks they're the best but they needed a guy like me to come in there and really like change the way they thought about this game because this game to them was like oh we're just gonna get this basic kid from nowhere like no I was special I felt like I was special and I felt like if I went anywhere I was gonna make the program better and not only lift myself but lift the players around me to have to come and play because. if you didn't come and play, I was going to bury you. Or, and I was going to tell you I was going to bury you, you know? Like, I had that personality. So, from day one, I went in there and I was just, I wasn't playing any games. And people were like, why are you taking this so seriously? I was like, it's not a game. Like, I'm out here to, like, get what I deserve. And also, you know, help the team as much as I can. And I was a freshman. I was 18 years old. I remember one of the one of my teammates, I just talked to him yesterday night. His name's Eric Bowling. White kid from Tennessee. He's like my brother, man. Like, we're like this. Like, that's my guy. Like, and he uh, he told me my freshman year of college, he said, you don't play like a freshman. That's when I knew. I was like, all right, I'm, I, I can I can ball with these guys. Like, they're you know, some of the guys on my team are Canadian. They're 23. I'm 18, 23, 24. And back then, 23, 24 was like, a you know, grown man. That's babies and kids, uh, you know? <laughs> it's not like now. We're 23, 24 now. It's like, oh, whatever. He's 23. But 23, 24 back then was like a big, you know, you're a grown, a grown man. 18 was like still pretty grown, you know? So I was like playing with these guys and I just remember my coach, like, you know, they they really didn't plan on me coming in and being anything because they're not used to guys coming in unless they recruited them to be these big players. They didn't plan on them coming in and making an impact. And I came in from the beginning, like, look, I'm coming here to like earn my spot and be the best. And so when I got in, I remember we had a scrimmage. We had a big scrimmage. And like, you know, you could feel like, hey, this is the this is the scrimmage that's gonna determine whether I'm gonna be on the bench. The you know, are you gonna be on the bench or are you gonna be are you gonna be, you know, are you gonna be a starter? And he actually put like their whole defense against me, like their starting defense against me. It was me and all the freshmen versus all the starters. And the defense was pretty good at the time because they had a lot of older guys, some Canadian guys that used to play on the national team. So like I was like, dang, like I gotta, you know, I got to perform today, and if I don't perform today, I'm probably going to be on the bench the whole season because these guys probably don't even want me here in the first place. So I went out there, and I would destroy everybody. My roommate was the starting goalkeeper at the time. He was two years older than I was. He transferred from Arizona. I actually scored the only goal in that scrimmage, and I was the best player in that scrimmage. And they are like, okay, we can't have this guy not playing with us. So the next day, he got me from the non-starter, and he's like, hey, you need to come over here. And he put me in the starting lineup. So my freshman year, first game of the season against Marshall, I started and I scored in my first game ever at the school. And wow. you know, that was that was great for me because like I had came from like, you know, them pretty much not really, really wanting me, kind of getting me from like a friend to like being like this 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 like young, energetic. This
0: fat. is the motivational move. I see this. It's the same as your mind. I'm not
1: signing you up for soccer. We just got to keep using this now. You got to find ways and you also got to understand like the the personal environment of your life, you know, like with your friends and stuff, you know, people are always going to doubt what's right. You know, they're always going to doubt the thing that makes sense because they don't want to believe that it makes sense. And so you always have to prove yourself to even like, even always have this fear that back home I was going to fail. Like, you know, people back home are going to think, oh, Chogi's just going to go there and like. Like, you know, he's going to be terrible and he's going to come back home. That was in the back of my head, too. So, for me, it was like the whole world was on my back. I have to perform. I have to play well. I have to start. I have to score. I have to be of service to the team, especially as a young player. Like, I have to be an, an impact player. So, as the season started going along, you know, I, I became, like, a real prime player for the team. I don't think the coach utilized me the right way. He didn't really know how to coach because he's the most coaches in college soccer don't know what they on But I became a big impact player on that team. And that year was crucial for me because I played a lot. I, came, I was starting at the beginning, and I came off the bench because they saw me better as like a you know 12th man coming off, freshman, you know, when they were taught, like, you know, they'd use the players. So the guy that was in front of me wasn't even a starting player, but it was better to use him and then me come off the bench and then really just bring a spark to the team. And, you know, we lost, we lost right before the championship game and a good season for me. And and going into my sophomore year, I was becoming like the guy. And, like, it was my team because my freshman year, we had another guy. He was really good. And it, he had been there for four years. And this was like my time to really come in there and like, you know, be an impact player and do all those things. And, you know, my sophomore year was a little shaky, but, you know, we went to the championship and we lost that year. And it was a good step for the program. Then my junior year comes around. we're the We're the biggest, like, you know, we're like the team that, you know, came from the championship and lost. So everybody's like, okay, they're going to be good this year. You know, I'm a big—I uh, don't know—you a foreseer? Um, I'm big on—I foresee a lot of things before they happen because I've seen the scenarios before. And I was a big movie guy, so you know, I used to watch movies, and a lot of movies can show you things that can happen before something else happens. And I was like, you know, look—if you don't bring, because we lost a lot of our our older players. You know, that that sophomore year, we went for championship. We had a lot of veterans, a lot of older guys to team was deeper, like we were a very deep team, like, you know, so we were losing a lot of guys from my junior year, so I was like, okay, cool, like, we need to get some players in here, If you and I went to the coaches and I said, look, you guys don't get any players we're going to lose every game next season, and they were like, well, I don't know, I was like, listen to me, I know, I'm the guy who's, and you know, you can start seeing, I had so much power and so much control, and you know, people don't understand too, is like, when you have power and control, you have to use it the right way, and not just abuse your power. I never did that. I always wanted to make sure my teammates were good, but also want everybody to feel like they can come talk to me. And you know, I had a you know I had a big voice on the team, and I would go to the coach and say, "Look, you know to bring some players, we're going to lose every game next season. We're playing against the best teams in the country. We're playing against some of the top programs, like you know see Charlotte Furman, who had Walker Zimmerman, who's like the starting center back for the U.S. national team. Like we we're playing against these top guys. Like they're not going to like have average players around some of these top players. So you got to understand." You have to cultivate a team that can compete. Whether you win or lose is all about performance, but you got to be able to compete. And I don't think we had the team to compete that year. And I think that's one of the things that I don't think the coaches understood is that you can't bring a lot of young kids into college soccer. And, you know, not every kid was going to be like me. You know, they weren't going to come in with that do or die mentality like this is life. You know, they have other priorities. I was all about this game. And if you don't come in with that mentality as a freshman, it's going to be very hard. For you to over excel, you can do well, but you have to, to over excel. No, not an 18 year old. No, it doesn't work like that. You have to come in with that mentality. They just recruited wrong and didn't do the right stuff. Lost a lot of games that year. I had a great season as far as like an individual. Probably like my best physical shape I've been in as far as like just endurance. I could take anything, I could run, I could do whatever I wanted to do. We just didn't win. And you know, that cultivates into like people just. Losing their brains a little bit. And I think the culture of the program started to die, you know, and it started to die with me. I, I didn't do anything specifically to die because if you're not winning because you're going, you're trying your hardest, that's okay. You can live with that. But when you feel like people aren't really like taking it seriously, you see people laughing after games or you see people like, you know, joking around at practice or something like that. For a guy who trains 10 months out of the year, 11 months out of the year, 12 months, months out of the year, which is a whole year. I train every day. I'm working hard to be the best player I can be, and you see people that are not doing those things in the summer, not going on vacations and doing those things, and then they want to come and mess up your career. Not it's And, you know, you you want to tell these people those things, but they don't, you know, you can't really tell people who don't want to know. You know, so that's, uh, you know, I said a few things that need to be said, and, you know, sometimes people don't like when you're, like, you know, especially when you're the voice of the team, I think they want you to just come. Kind of whether you're losing or winning, I think there's this thing about who cares whether you win or lose. And if you have that mentality, you probably don't want a guy like me with you because there's no, it's okay. There's no, it doesn't matter. No, it's, it does matter because this is what, I, you might not be going anywhere in a couple of years, three years, but I'm going to the next level. I don't know what you want to do. But so when we lose, it hurts me. That's that commitment
0: <laughs> to excellence that not everyone has. Has, right when you say like what happens today makes a difference in the rest of my life. How we show up, how we practice, right, impacts how the rest of my life and how I'm gonna show up. And I want to show up exactly today as I want to in everything I do. That's the kind of leadership and commitment to excellence. And that's not think you know, players have a difficult time with losing, especially if they haven't lost before. Like they don't know what to do to get out of it uh, and they don't know they don't even see how they're a part of it like people don't if you don't really feel empowered to make change and any a team is a is a mechanism family of a lot of different structures right if i don't feel like i can have any ability to control the outcome then people get they they default to some really negative habits so you hope you get that from your coach or from a leader on the team sometimes it has to Come from inside the team, right? Yeah, you,
1: you wanted to, but you got you gotta look at it like you know. And I'll even use this. I I just talked to my teammate from that same school from the college I went to, and we had this. We had we talked for two and a half hours, you know. And um I haven't talked to him in ten years. He's he's been like a, you know we've texted and stuff, but we never really had this conversation. And you know all the social unrest going on, it was a perfect time for us to talk. And I yeah. told him straight up. I told him straight up. I said if any white kid would been in my position and acted the way I acted, they would have never had an issue. It wouldn't have been an issue. Now, the outcome, the outcome, I think we had a locker room conversation and they asked us whoever wants to say something. And, you know, we every year we'd have this, like, this rut where we'd lose four games in a row. I think two years in a row we lost four games in a row and then this year we had lost four games in a row but it was worse because we lose like seven to a halftime to a team. So it was like, what? And I wasn't even playing. I didn't play this game or something like that. I was on the bench or something like that. They were all mad and they were like, oh, we're not playing you this game. I was like, all right, cool. You don't have to pay, play me. So they were losing, we we're losing 7-2. And um, I just remember like going to a locker room and I, and they were like, hey, can somebody talk? Does anybody have anything they want to say? And, you know, I had reached my boiling point. I think I was going like past my boiling point. I was like, hey, if it was 100 degrees with boiling point, I was like 150, you know? So I was like, well, I think all you guys Need this. I think we all need to stop acting like little girls, you know, like, nah, we didn't even say little girls, but like, you know, we need to start acting like wusses and come out here and perform and like, you know, work hard. It just wasn't, nobody was taking it that seriously. And I pointed out to coaches and I said, hey, you guys are not even, you know, you're not even motivating the players so you go hard. Like we need you, you and you. And there was like three coaches in there. We need you guys to step up too. It's not just the players. And I don't think they liked that very much. So I guess they felt like They were disrespected. But at the same time, I'm the one who can, if anybody can speak, you know, and I always never spoke before and I've always had that same voice, but I never spoke because I felt like, I don't need to say anything. They're not going to listen anyway. And this is the one year I was like, I need to say something because this is my team. Like I need to speak for every single person in here because nobody's going to say anything because we're just going to keep losing. And I don't think they like that very much. And the rest of the season, I think it was just very sour. Or um, I can actually tell you a really funny like really actually like kind of weird story I had a training session and the coaches you know they were just getting on me really heavy and you know when I get really mad especially with sports I don't get mad in like my personal life because my personal life things don't make me that mad it's only really sports and like my job and so when I get really mad I kind of don't speak to anybody because I don't want to say anything that you know is going to make anybody mad I don't want to go off and like you know like that so I just go and like show up to practice one day and I don't speak and people are not used to me not speaking they're like what's wrong like you know they're more worried about what's wrong with me than what's going on in practice so I just remember showing up to practice and my coaches were really getting on me. they're like hey we're gonna kick you out of practice and don't don't speak I'm like what like I don't have to speak to anybody I can just practice but they were so adamant on me speaking and having like I don't need to talk today because nobody's gonna listen and this was my statement of like in practice like hey look I'm not saying anything to anybody let's just train and go home and so you know I was destroying people in practice without caring about playing hard it was weird it was the first time I ever didn't care about practice and I was literally just dribbling by people like it was a kids game like it was like a joke and it, it was my thing to show them I don't even have to try out here I don't even have to care and I can still beat every single player on this team and that was my way of like just proving to the coaches like hey look like this is what this is how it feels when people come out and they don't they don't they're not going their hardest so we have a scrimmage a little scrimmage like a 5v5 type situation in practice i just had one of my close friends he was a teammate he was like oh i can guard you and i had been in the school for three years not one player i ever played with the whole three years i was there could ever guard me one-on-one i was Mm like that was like my thing like if you try to go one-on-one i was unstoppable and he was like oh i can guard you i can guard you. So, you know, when somebody comes at me like that, I'm like, you don't put the work in that I do. You're not as you don't care about this game like I do. What makes you think you're going to be able to hold me? So we have these ones, we have like a five on five, and I'm pissed. Like, I'm completely like, I'm off the top of my head. Like, you, you don't even know who this guy is, but I'm not speaking, though. So we're playing the scrimmage, and I'm just picking up the ball, and I'm telling every teammate that I'm playing, because it's like five v five, so I have four teammates so don't even think about doing the ball getting the ball every single time i take the ball and i just literally destroyed the whole every team and it was like it was quick it was bang goal and they, they they'd swap out their uh, a new five would come off bang goal swap out a new five and every time i scored i turned to the coach that says i was like who are you gonna i was like who the are you gonna get to guard me like who are you gonna get there's nobody here everybody here is nothing like uh, me i was they going drive <laughs> And, oh, they were, they were, look, they were actually not even yelling at me. They didn't say anything. They just put their heads down because they had, they had, they had come at me. They had come at me in practice, like trying to disrespect me. And like, you know, actually like uh, one of my coaches, assistant coaches, he asked me to come do a demonstration for the team or like to demonstrate a drill. And I was just like, whatever, man, like I'll come do the drill. And he grabbed me by the arm. Now today's world, that's harassment. You know? Yeah. He actually grabbed me. It was, it was harassment, and I just started laughing. I was giggling, and he whispered in my ear, "If you if you keep doing what you're doing, I'll send you home faster than you can breathe." I'll never forget he said that, and I was like, "Whatever." I just started laughing, so he kind of disrespected me. So instead of going off on him and speaking to him, I put it on the field and I embarrassed the coaches and the kid. The players were like, "What's wrong with this guy? Like he's going psycho." Like I would score goals and just absolutely just cuss. I would say so. I wouldn't even cuss at them. I'd be like, "Nobody can f." And guard me, you're you all are nothing. Like and the whole team's like, wow, this guy like is really going like, he's just showing everybody in practice and then cuts him saying all these things. And I think like that teammate that said he could guard me, I dribbled by him and I scored on him. I was like, don't ever disrespect me ever like that again. I earned mine. Like I earned, I earned to speak like this. I earned to talk like this, get off my field. And he just walks off the field and doesn't say anything. And then I say all these things all in practice. After the thing ended, I had never been outside of my mind. I felt like I was outside of my mind. It was like my beast mode moment. I, ain't ne- I never felt like that in a practice situation. But I was so angry because these guys took me to that level. And then after practice, I went over to the coach and said, hey, I apologize. I didn't cuss at them. I didn't say F you to them. I just was so angry at everything that was going on and the way they were treating me that that practice was a statement to say, I'm the best player on this team regardless. It's and well, they didn't play me the game before that, and they started me every game after that. So it was like I had to go and disrespect them for them to understand. Like, what are you? What are you doing? I'm the best there that you have here. There's nothing else you're gonna find here. So you're gonna have to play me every single game, whether we win or lose. And they just like played me every single game. So at the end of the day, it didn't really matter. But at the end of the season, um, I think they felt like you know they not that they couldn't control. I wasn't like a mad kid. I never got in trouble. You know, you live your whole entire career and you, know, you see all these things happen in college football where players are getting arrested and, you know, they have drugs on them or they're drinking. I just never did those things, man. And, like, I never was that kind of player. And I just remember the coaches, you know, they, I, they, they, they kicked me off the team. They kicked me off the team at the end of the season and, and I asked them, like, you can't kick me off the team for not doing anything. And they're like, yeah, we can. If we don't like the color of your shirt, we can kick you off the team. So I Yeah,
0: so that's where it's like a culture thing. And so unfortunately organizations even in sport care about politics and maintaining a status quo. And it sounds like right that anger is like a deep seated like I want this whole organization to be better.
1: They would have never done that. They would have never done it. And I think too is like I had such a big voice on the team and I was such a I was doing all the right things and my coach he was straight up, he was like, look, this is a power thing. It's like, at the end of the day, like, you have more power than me on the team. The players listen to you more. The players believe in you more. And at the end of the day, I don't like, I don't want that. And I was like, well, yeah. if I'm doing this, if I'm doing the wrong thing, then it's different. And if we can come to an agreement, the thing was that he was doing the wrong stuff. That he rather do the wrong stuff his way than do the right way right, right, right. And I was always, I'm always down to, you know, work together and stuff like that. But for him, I never wanted to be the coach. But you have to do the right stuff so we can get the players motivated and do the right, right. things. And that was hard for him. He couldn't do that. And that was really the turn of, like, my soccer. You know, then I started – soccer started to change it for me because I was at my peak, really, as a footballer, like, physically, mentally. Like, I really had everything going for me, like, as a footballer. You could have dropped me anyway. You could have dropped me at Manchester United and I would have competed with those guys, they wouldn't have been a good guard, yeah. Hour, you know, Chiyoke, it's amazing. I know
0: we can go into a whole lot more, maybe just in in, in summarizing, uh, you know, for our listeners, how did you turn that lesson into a lesson for life? And tell everybody, you know, maybe in the last closing minutes here, how they can get a hold of you, stay in contact, and, and learning about, you know, leadership and overcoming adversity and resilience. Uh, how did you, oh. did you take that lesson?
1: forward. I think the biggest thing is too is like uh, when you see something that you don't think is right you have to earn the right to speak and you have to earn the right to have a position. I don't think sometimes, I think sometimes we're so quick to just say things because we feel like it's wrong and that's true but depending on where you are, depending on what you're doing, especially in a sporting environment, I earn the right to speak to players and to talk to the coaches and do these things and I always tell people all the time, like if you see something that's wrong, talk to your other leader before you talk to the top leaders and get their perspective and get them to understand where you're coming from. See, I was a leader anytime something happened, players would come to me. Now, I earned that right and as an individual, you want to be the best you can be so you can earn the right to be a leader. It's Anybody can be a leader, but to earn the right to be a leader, there's a lot of experience in that. There's a lot of like, ups and downs. There's a lot of failure. And then when you get to the point where people are actually coming to you for advice, you know you became a leader. I never wore the captain's armband. Not one time I think I ever played. I don't think my whole soccer career, I wore the captain's armband. But everybody knew I was the leader of the team. And you know, for whatever reason, I didn't wear the captain's armband. I didn't care because leadership isn't because of an armband or a title. It's it's a personality. It's the way you treat your teammates on and off the field you know like that really matters at the end of the day take those things from a young age from like a young kid you know all the way to 11 years old to now I'm 28 and I use a lot of the stuff I use in soccer and I use it in my work today like working in production you know because it's all leadership skills and the best thing you can do you have to make people feel comfortable around you but you also have to understand that you're the leader and when you're a leader you have to stand on your feet firm and but standing on your feet firm comes and make sure people around you feel like, hey, this guy doesn't play around, but he also cares about me. You know, and he also wants me to do well. You know, and don't let people take you out of your position. At the end of the day, they're, they they want to be you, but it's hard to replace somebody who's always doing the right thing. You know, what I mean, it's really hard to replace somebody always doing the right thing. And when they do replace you, it will be a complete absence of that whole entire establishment because they're gonna feel they're gonna feel that hole that you left. Right, but
0: you said something really important, that even when you're, we have like this righteous anger, even when we're right, even when we're validated, even when we see the vision, and I get this a lot, you know, as well, you know, obviously psychologists caring about humanity, community team as a performance consultant, right? You may have the vision, but if a coach believes he doesn't have the power or if other players believe, you know, Know, that they're disempowered or if they're so impacting by believing the other team is better or they're not as good, you know, when they hit adversity, it's hard to shift those belief systems. So you really need to be a part of, you know, a culture, right? What is the ethic? How do we, how do we deal with stress? How do we deal with conflict, right? How do we help the players feel heard? How do we address this kind of dynamic in a team? Where someone is not given as much effort or someone's shutting down and we fall behind. What happens to teams that like do really well when they're front running, but when then they, they get challenged by better teams or bigger teams. So working within these dynamics and, and finding ways to support players who have that strong voice and leadership, uh, you know, sounds like a real area of focus you're trying to bring to coaches, right? Because sometimes you just want players who will uh, fall in line and follow orders, and that's not really what's best for a program to grow. So I thank you for being that voice, for not being afraid, <laughs> even at 11 years old with bigger, bigger bodies around. And hope we'll get we'll get to hear more about your continued playing games. I know you're still looking for uh, for a big game in non non COVID times. Yeah. Here and play with the best. <laughs> try to. Try to. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. I'm grateful for you, uh, Chioki, and for reaching out and being an ambassador of goodwill. Hopefully, we'll, we'll be out there together watching the game soon. I know some states are playing and breaking down. They're at different levels of play. I think they're at level four, being okay to play in Arizona now. So, it's confusing as as it's ever been. all times, but we'll get through it. We'll get to it. Take some time. That's right. Well, thank you for making time. We're grateful on behalf of our listeners, and hopefully we can connect next time in person. Yes, sir. Uh, See, thank you. Well, thank you again. That was an amazing discussion with Chioke Akabujo. Thank him for his patience. Soccer player extraordinaire, professional, now here in entertainment. Bringing his leadership and his voice uh, to you and how to show you even if you're the youngest, even if your parents don't sign you up, if you have a true passion, desire, hunger to learn, hunger to play, and a passion that you can pursue it even at the highest levels. Uh, we hope to have him back on. With Thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate it. Please, if you can, check out my Patreon page.com, patreon.com slash Listens, or Instagram, Richard Listens. Uh, you get the theme. We appreciate all your support and interest. We're now up on iTunes, Spotify. If you're interested in therapy, teletherapy, any kind of consultation, please don't hesitate to reach out to me through my website, richardlissons.com. I'm happy to help and support in any way through any kind of strain, support, or isolation you are going through. We are here to alleviate strain and suffering. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm Richard Lissons, and I'm out. I'm a big fan of MMA sports, It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport, football, hockey, boxing, soccer. The list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash RichardListens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, InJitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash listens to get your first class free. That's injits ucom sucom slash Take care, everyone.